I'm Speech Thomas from the hip-hop crew Arrested Development. On the new VPM podcast, Track Change, I take you behind the walls of Richmond City Jail, where I help four men record an album and hear how they're trying to break free from a cycle of addiction and incarceration. Been so long since I've been free. Subscribe to Track Change in your podcast app. Hi, I'm Ahmed Badr, and this is Be Settled. Today's episode is reported by Maria Perazzo Rose. It's early June in 2019, and Harrisonburg High School in Virginia's rural Shenandoah Valley is hosting one of the most pivotal moments of a young adult's life graduation. British writer C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. The graduating class of 2019 is a large group of high-achieving and well-deserving individuals that have proven their humility and care for themselves and their community. There are familiar feelings. The pride of walking across the stage to the sound of your name, getting that diploma, the annoying itchiness of a gown that never fits quite right. But there's something different about this high school. You can see it in the crowd of parents packed full in a giant stadium cheering on their children. And you can hear it in the list of names that are called. Margarita Hernandez Listen to any three names in a row and they all sound culturally different. For a rural high school with a graduating class just above 400 students, that may be surprising. But no one in the crowd is surprised here. Mayor Deanna Reed, an HHS alum herself, gives the commencement speech. And one of the lessons she wants kids to remember is what it means to come from this town. Sitting all around you are dozens of people representing different cultures and languages and ways of life than your own. Embrace those differences. Incorporate them into your own culture and how you live your own life. Millions of people grow up and go to school surrounded by people who look just like them. You've got a head start because you've grown up in Harrisonburg. Our diversity is our strength. A quarter of the world's countries and 54 languages are represented in Harrisonburg City Public Schools' entire student body. This diversity is a powerful benefit to the school, but it can get complicated. Laura Feischinger-McGrath, or Miss FM as the kids call her, is one of the visionaries behind Harrisonburg's language programming, which includes migrants, asylees, and refugees. When students who come from a million different backgrounds are asked to conform to one set of classroom expectations, things can get hard, fast. And when you're a ninth grader and you can't read in English and your first language literacy skills are on a fourth grade or fifth grade level because literacy is different in your home country or because you have You've had traumatic experiences, or you haven't had school in five years because you're from a war-torn country. Like, all those things make it so that all those kids are in ninth grade. Well, what are we going to do with them? 
These kids' successes are hard won. As part of Harrison Mackay's graduation, the principal asks kids to stand up and remain standing as she calls out different characteristics of the class. Please stand if you have earned a national award. Those vary back and forth between things that fit this small Virginia town. If you own livestock. And things that represent a much more diverse population. Please stand if you speak five languages. Please stand if you are the first in your family to graduate from high school. Please stand if you are the first in your family to go to college. The cheers for these last two being the first in their family to graduate high school or go to college, get the loudest cheers. But how did the Harrisburg City Public Schools get here? How does this high school help prepare refugee students for life in America? And what makes that successful? With people from so many different backgrounds, socially and culturally and economically, What does it mean to bring them together? Hi, Maria. Hey, Ahmed. You know, I first of all, I love how the announcer said the names at the graduation. Like in such a dramatic and exciting way. Uh, it was almost like a sports announcer. That was really, really cool. But also, I, I didn't realize how diverse the school was, especially in such a small town. Yeah, Harrisburg is quite a rural city. Just above 50,000 people live here. But over 17% of the city's population is foreign-born. Virginia, by comparison, has 8.5 million people and 12% that are foreign-born. So in Harrisonburg, it's a big part of a small population. And so why? Why are there so many people born in other places coming to Harrisonburg? A few reasons. Many people started coming in the 1970s because of the seasonal work for migrants, first in apple orchards and then in poultry processing plants. There's also a big church community there that sponsors families in other countries who need help to come to the area. But a really big change happened when Church World Services, which is a refugee resettlement agency, started relocating families to the area in 1988. And since then, they've brought people from at least 27 different countries to Harrisonburg. And these are families we're talking about. So they're not just going to impact the job market, but they're also going to impact Harrisonburg's school system. Exactly. It's a huge impact. Right now, about a third of the whole student body across all grades are active English language learners. Many schools think of the number of English language learners as a measure of how diverse a school is. But Harrisonburg uses a different metric for diversity. Basically, they also include students who have already learned English or who have current or former immigration status or who speak a different language at home. And that means that 4,000 kids or 61% of the student body are culturally diverse. That measure gives a more accurate picture of diversity showing all the people with different cultural backgrounds, not just the ones who are learning English as a language. And you live this, right? You're bearing the lead a little bit here, but you actually went to Harrisonburg High School. (laughs) Yeah, blue streaks for life. Um, I was born in Canada and then grew up in the Philippines with my grandparents and aunt, and then came to Virginia for most of my childhood and schooling. 
And so did you know about all of this when you first got to Harrisonburg High School? Did you know this about their school system? The diversity, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it was something you don't even notice until you're gone, really. It wasn't perfect, of course. Diversity doesn't automatically equal inclusivity. But, you know, I saw from a really young age people of different cultures celebrating different holidays. Uh, In elementary school, they were kids who didn't eat lunch with us because it was Ramadan. And that was just a thing that became normal. You learned names that sounded different from yours. And I think it was the little things like that that really embedded into your mindset. For me, it was really important also to see people who looked so different from each other succeeding in so many different ways in classes and in clubs and in sports. I think that had a really big impact on me. And what was it like to go back there as a reporter? rather than a student like you once were. (laughs) Awkward, honestly, sometimes, (laughs) just because the teachers still knew me. And I, yeah, it was awkward sometimes. But (laughs) I spent the majority of my time with some great kids in this one club for refugee students. And in particular, a young woman named Fatima. I got to know her over about nine months from the last semester of high school to her first of college. And honestly, I didn't expect when I started spending time with a high school senior to meet someone who was just way more mature than I was. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we talked about crushes and college, but then she'd just whip out, you know, like Buddhist philosophy and think about how she could affect change in this country that she's new to. She sounds so much cooler than you already. <laughs> she is, and I can't wait to tell you about her and the school. Then let's get started. Harrisonburg High is the town's lone high school on the western edge of the city. Set against the Blue Ridge Mountains, it's small and rural. There's farmland just beyond the practice fields and a chicken coop across the street. When you enter through the cafeteria doors, you're greeted by a few dozen flags hanging from the high ceilings, representing the different countries the students are from. And it's likely that you'll walk through the hallways and hear kids laughing in a language you don't know. In late April 2019, I meet up with Fatima in the drama classroom, putting on stage makeup and getting into costume. What do you you usually do? Is this your makeup? Yes. It's my mom makeup, basically. (laughs) Today is dress rehearsal for the play she's in, written by the school's librarian. Big black bugs bleed blue, black blood. Baby black bugs bleed blue. What is the name of the spring play? Completely, absolutely normal. Did you forget for a second? <laughs> I don't remember the normal part. <laughs> Performing in a play is a way for Fatima to face some of her fears. When she first arrived in Virginia, she was reluctant to meet new people. Th- that's the way I felt in the beginning. I didn't want to meet anyone. I just, didn't want to, I just wanted to stay by myself, even though I needed a lot of help. Part of that was the challenge of learning a new language and then speaking that new language in public. I always hate to speak English in front of people, and I feel so nervous. Imagine how difficult it is to be a high schooler. Maybe struggling in calculus, or falling out with a friend, or family pressure to be the best. Now, imagine doing that in a completely different culture. And Fatima's family is new to this culture too, so she can't exactly turn to them for advice when things get hard. The subject of this play is especially tricky. Would you have been involved in a play like this back home? 
No way. Not even, like, I wouldn't even think for a second about it. No, <laughs> no. It's about acceptance when it comes to gender and sexuality, topics that were still pretty taboo to her back in Iraq. Fata remembers the first time she saw PDA from a same-sex couple at Harrisonburg High. It was sophomore year. She was walking down the hallway and... They were kissing. I was like, oh my god. I rejected it. Like, I was like, no, that's not good. This is not the right... Like, this is not the right way to do it. Like, you have to be with the opposite sex. Fatima ran into another girl who also saw the PDA. And we were both talking, and she was talking about her perspective from the religious. And she said, no, in the Bible, it's just Adam and, and Eve. It's not Adam and Adam, or yes. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. We have it the same in the Quran. Fatima was completely, absolutely out of her comfort zone. She went home and thought about it for a little while and realized that passing this kind of judgment wasn't something she wanted to do. Me as a human in this world, it just, my job is to respect everyone. I love everyone and look at them as who they are, not what they, where they like sexual interests, not what they, I'm not yet explained that in English, but like, I just have to respect everyone as long as they're not hurting anyone and they're respectful, that's fine. I know, Fatima is really, really wise. And the whole time we were together, Fatima exhibited this open-mindedness in all the ways she treated people. And Harrisonburg High School plays an important role in getting students to adopt that open kind of mindset. It's all by design. As the architect behind the Harrisonburg City Public Schools programming for English language learners, Ms. FM's day-to-day can be quite hectic. So I feel like 70% of my time during the school day is spent uh, as an EMT firefighter. Those fires Ms. FM puts out range from stopping fights in the hallway to helping students pick up their grades. Officially, Ms. FM is the ESL coordinator for the Harrisonburg City Public Schools. Unofficially, she spends her time visiting students' homes to build relationships with new families and helping students come up with post-high school plans. Um, So I do most of my work at other times um, to be prepared for, hello? Hi, is this Alice either? I do not see anybody. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, You know, education is is interruption after interruption after interruption. Sometimes she gets so busy that she'll take notes on her hand just to remember what she has to finish later. Yes, and sometimes when I, at night when I'm, I'm showering, I'm like, oh no! And so <laughs> I'll have one of my kids, like, or my husband come in and take a picture of my hand like, before it all... <laughs> Miss FM's 22 years in the schools have given her a nuanced view on how language programming has changed. She saw a wave of immigrants come to Harrisonburg in the 90s. Back then, there were few English learning resources. In 1989, there was only one ESL teacher for 16 English language learners, or ELL students. In 1993, that ratio became one teacher to 160 students. At first, Laura helped provide individual language instruction. During this period of time, there were classrooms I was going to And I was taking six, seven, or eight kids out of classrooms. But the number of kids who needed additional help became too much. By 2004, the ESL population in Harrisonburg hit a critical mass. 
38% of students were learning English as a second language. You cannot ignore 38% of your class. She started looking for solutions. But at the time, the whole state of Virginia only had a 5% ESL population, so they weren't developing any programming. Harrisonburg had to find its own way, without any blueprint. Ms. FM advocated for the expansion of ESL programming before any of these services were mandated by state or federal governments. How many of you have language learners in your classrooms? Raise your hand. Is everybody hand raised? You can't be a teacher in Harrisonburg without having either an active English learner or a monitored former English learner. Not anymore. Now, classroom support for ELLs means there's more teacher resources and a combination of classes that are taught partially in English and partially in that student's home language. Oftentimes, people say good instruction is good instruction. As long as there's good instruction, we're good. Not true. Language learning is a very different experience and needs intentional, explicit focus. A third of English learners last year were awarded advanced diplomas in Harrisonburg. That's more than double the state average. They're also staying in school more. The dropout rate was five percentage points lower for English learners in Harrisonburg compared to the state. And in the past three years alone, Harrisonburg's on-time graduation rate for English learners is consistently six percentage points above the state average. So, shaping classroom instruction to meet students' needs is one way that Harrisonburg tries to prep kids for life in America. But there's more to it than getting through tests and graduating. What Harrisonburg has done to aid that classroom learning is craft other cultural programs that support students and their families. A welcome center to provide resources for families who are new to the school system, annual mandatory teacher training sessions to learn about how to work with ELL, migrant, and refugee students, a homeschool liaison program where different native speakers work with families from different countries, and other clubs with mentors hired specifically to work with refugee populations. It's a multi-level effort. One program that really helps is the newcomer class. To provide that space to learn what the norms are about being in school. The point is to learn what it means to be a student here in a way that helps children feel comfortable. It's interesting because I'm not trying to teach acculturation. I don't want the kids to assimilate. They don't need to be like middle-class white kids. I want us to recognize their funds of knowledge. I want us to uh, honor their experiences. But I also know that we have to explicitly teach some things because just thinking that somebody is sitting back watching and going to get it isn't going to happen. It's tough. Teachers are in a position where they have to balance teaching their curriculums at a rigorous level and helping students feel welcome. We're not equipped to deal with some of the issues that arise, um, except by showing extreme care. That care is necessary. There's a whole lot of experience to unpack. Before the break, we were getting to know Faltma and how Harrisonburg High School's language programming 
can only do so much to help refugee students adjust to school life in Virginia. Perhaps their most important asset is extreme care. In May 2019, Fatma was in her last month of high school. Her family invited Maria over for dinner during Ramadan, the Muslim holy month where one fasts from sunup to sundown. No food and no water. Dinners, which are called iftars, are extra special because they mark the breaking of the day-long fast. Here's Maria. Oh, yeah. Steam rises from the stove as soon as I come in, and Fatima's nieces giggle while hiding under the dining room table. Fatima tries to point to all the things cooking on the stove. So what do we have? This is a soup. But she jumps back. It's okay, scared. It scares you? I hate that. No, I can't do this stuff. She's not a fan of cooking. Oh, this is biryani. There are so many bowls of food. Dolma and chicken biryani and kupa and more that our plates don't even fit on the wide wooden table. It's a girls' night at home, which means that Fatima's mom and sister-in-law can take off their jobs. Fatima's brother, Noor, is on the road for his truck driving job. And Fatima jokes that if he were there, everyone would be on their best behavior. But every time, like, my brother turns in, it just, like, everything turns out to chaos. <laughs> like, we go in the emergency mood. <laughs> How? Why? What are, what are the emergencies? He's this trick. <laughs> oh. Yes. He's 27, but Nora has had to play the man of the house since their family moved to the United States in late 2015. Their family escaped so much danger from their home city, Diala, in eastern Iraq, that here, he's become quite protective. Fatima's memories of Diala are mostly painful. The city was known for its orange trees, but Fatima says that during the fighting, they were all burned down. She remembers most of her childhood with a backdrop of war. There was a car, I remember the car. It was really fun. It was really old. In front of my house, I don't know why someone left it there. Probably just got killed or something. Really sad. She says this matter of fact, not because it isn't sad, just that violence was common. We turned this car to a way to play. Like we make like a slide and just like jump on it and try like acting with driving. So it was like our small entertainment. But soon they weren't allowed to play there anymore. Their parents were afraid that people would hide bombs underneath the car. Bomb explosions were commonplace. Fata remembers being afraid to go to school, even though she loves learning. She remembers breaking in all the windows at her school as a preventative measure to avoid being cut by shattered glass if nearby attacks happened. And the rise of ISIS brought more fighting. She remembers one day in particular. We were in the exam. We have like the final exams. Oh gosh, I still remember that day. It was English. (laughs) She laughs, but in the way that she does when she's nervous. I was like, we're done with the exam and we were able to hear them like the gun machines and everything we were able to hear all of that and the bombs and just like it all of this was so clear like it was like a death life thinking that day because if they came in they would just kill everyone it felt like danger was all around her and it would get worse when fatima was seven armed men attacked her home and took her father an interpreter for the u.s military She watched it happen, hiding in a cabinet. After that, they had to leave. Fatima's mother began an application for refugee status. But while the application was being reviewed, 
Her brother, Omar, disappeared while trying to find out what happened to their father. Fatima and her family found out about Omar's death the same way as they did for her father, on the news. Just imagine, like, just sitting, getting your lunch, and the news, they just came out. If you're missing one of your family members, there's like 10 people that killed and found in the hospital, you can go and check on them. And that was like a daily, a daily news. Yes. And then, it's so weird that you are as a person, an existence, and it's just like everything you've done in your life. In one second, you turn into a number in a sub the subtitle and the news and just like yes that's everything you are just a number over there it's awful like it's like how is all these people and how they impact this world and how there's so they have so many ideas and they have so many hopes and all this stuff they just turn into a number they don't even know their name it's just number over there it's awful Fatima's mom brought the family to the U.S. after that. She didn't want to lose any more of her family. And now that you're here, does it feel worth it? Because she said, I lost too much, so I think it's still worth it, really. I'm so sad to hear that you lost so many people. She thinks it's not just losing people, it's actually losing ourselves in the middle of this chaos because we're not really living, we're just surviving. Is that something that being in a different place, you can get that back, that sense of self. She thinks like it's something already broken inside of you. It's it just a place cannot fix it. After dinner, Fatima shows me her room. The wall is papered over with handwritten messages, book quotes, advice from teachers, Buddhist prayers. But she reaches into her closet and pulls down a small box full of personal mementos. She holds up photos of her family, explaining who each person is, but she's looking for one thing in particular. And then the card, somewhere, what did I put the card on? Fatima pulls out a birthday card, a little bent at the edges. It's for her cousin and best friend, Maria, but she's had it a while. She writes messages in it every year they're apart. She says she'll send it someday. She reads one of the messages, translating the Arabic as she goes. So it says, There starts as it ends, and it ends as it begins. This year I didn't start with you. Reading this letter... To her best friend is the only time Fatima cries all night. And I'm sure as these days separated us, one day we will be together. I know I will never find a friend like you in my whole life. Everything is so incomplete 
Because you're not here. Because you're not with me. Speaking with Fatima made me see the smaller, unexpected ways her family's experience can feel isolating. It's scary to be surrounded by violence. It's hard to lose people. It's painful to leave. But now, Fatima has to go on. She has to figure out high school and find ways to grow up in a new culture, and she can't share the experience with her best friend. She's afraid to go through all of this alone. At Harrisonburg High School, Fatima isn't alone. In Peer Leaders, the club specifically for refugee students, Fatima can explore these feelings with others who share a similar background. Kajungu Mturi, who leads the group, says that being together consistently shows students they have support from students and mentors. Our goal as a peer leader is we want to see these kids succeed in their lives. That's most important. I have to mention that. Yeah. So whatever we do, I don't know, field trip, stay on Fridays, we want to them to reach where they see themselves. So we are creating the environment of taking them where they want to be. Like Ms. FM said earlier, ensuring that these students are in a position to succeed academically requires more than just classroom programming. If you can't concentrate on what you need to study because you're worried about what you need to do to feel comfortable in a new language and country, then that classroom effort falls flat. Programs like this bridge that gap. And I wish you tell them, whatever you feel stuck, you're not yourself. We are behind you. We are behind it to make sure we, we support you, you reach you, we, you reach you where you're going. Kajungu, who came to Harrisonburg from Tanzania, creates dialogues that help kids learn about culture in the U.S. and adjust to their new home. Some of these conversations happen in team-building challenges on ropes courses or in learning about new foods at their annual restaurant dinner, but a lot of them happen on their Friday meetings. Mm-hmm. On one particular Friday, they talk about their parents. Every teen's favorite topic, right? For some of the peer leaders, it's hard to deal with parents who struggle to catch up to norms in the U.S. Yeah, I actually canceled, like, a lot of trips for school, like, just because my parents, like, my dad said, no, you're not going to go to this. You're going with us. They talk about how to take up responsibility when their parents aren't sure what to do. I'll show you, like, if you want, I'll show you my backpack. Like, literally all the important papers is with me. Like, all the paychecks, all the green cards, all the passports, everything. Why? Because I'm the only one who speaks English. My parents don't speak English. In a group of friends, these challenges are easier to tackle. A public announcement, if you want to steal their house, go to your reason. Besides, you don't know which backpack I'm putting in. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Kajungu says that the Peer Leaders Club does more than help adjust to Harrisonburg culture. It's also about finding ways to celebrate and maintain the cultures that these students come from. It's about building your identity. If I don't know my culture, the Bob Marley or like Dobe say, if you don't know where you come from, you don't know where you are and you don't know where you're going. For me, if you don't value your identity, you don't value yourself. Even sometimes your education will be nothing if you don't value identity. Learning where you're from and nurturing that connection just as much as a connection to a new place teaches you more about where you want to go. Fatima knows that people might experience this idea in different ways. 
Being a refugee can carry a certain stigma. Imagine your sophomore year world history class, learning about ancient Rome or the Treaty of Versailles in World War I. And then one day, your ears perk up because the teacher mentioned something that sounds like a story you've already heard. Fatima's teacher was explaining different religions around the world and mentioned Islam, which led to a class conversation about modern Islam. Fatima raised her hand. And I just talked about, like, watching people actually get killed in the streets. And then afterwards, I just felt, oh my God, what did I say that? Maybe people will start feeling creepy against me. I'll be like, oh my God, she's so dead people. Mm. So no, I, I just felt like extra or I shouldn't say that. But then I realized like people should know this stuff, especially if they're not like refugees or they're against the idea of refugee. Like you just know the origin of this thing so you understand why they're here. Fatima thinks having a diversity of ethnicities and cultures and experiences in a classroom can make the information more real. We have all these like wars and countries we study about. And literally every unit, there is someone who represents this. Like there's someone, okay, I lived that. My mom lived that. My parents did that. And they start talking about it. We have representative of that place. And it's beautiful. And having a diverse community means you see different ways of being, different ways of caring yourself and treating others. And by seeing all these options play out around you, whether conscious of it or not, you're making daily choices about who you want to be. This is how you know you're a good person and you can make a good choices when you have a lot of ways and you choose the right one. Do you make sense? Okay. <laughs> In the final months of senior year, Fatima leaps through milestone moments, things that she's been excitedly and nervously anticipating all year. She faced her fears on stage, performing in the spring play in English on a subject that used to be totally taboo. Fatima plays the mother who's wary of her daughter bringing a girlfriend to a sleepover. But one of you have to sleep on this sofa. You cannot share that. I had sleepovers with friends and I shared beds with them. You are not dating them. I feel like there's a double standard here. You're a bisexual, Julie, not asexual. It was a bittersweet moment, this performance. Fatima's mom and family weren't there. They wouldn't have understood the English. But she was proud of herself for stepping on stage at all. Come on, let's dance. <laughs> Maybe you should play Maybe I'm barely alive. Fatima also went to prom, themed Midnight Masquerade. She wore a teal dress that a family friend sewed for her, made special to fit Muslim traditions. She couldn't wait to put it on, but as I drove her to prom, all she talked about was how nervous she felt about looking so different. I love it. With the fact that no one probably would be wearing the same thing. Yeah. You know what? I'll just be happy because no one wearing the same thing. Exactly. You will be so different. You'll stand out. <laughs> and then, graduation. Not the music typically associated with graduation, as we heard in the beginning. This is the peer leader's graduation, a party the students throw to celebrate their senior peers. So, on a sunny May day, the peer leaders are scattered around an elementary school pavilion playing basketball, and taking turns DJing from someone's phone, surrounded by friends. 
seniors. Kajungu speaks, of course. Your contribution has taken peer leaders far, far, far away. Even though we can't see in on our eyes, but you have done a lot. And so, Miss FM swings by for a few words of encouragement. I'd like to say to all of you, though, being part of a community is really, really important. And everybody's presence in this group is super important to all of us. Um, we lift each other by lifting, right? Let's keep each other focused on, on getting through the end of this year um, because we need each other's support, all of us. She also makes reminders to do homework. Official graduation is still a couple weeks away. So when you see each other, make sure you smile and high five and encourage each of you to work hard the next couple of weeks. Okay? Proud of all of you, though. Yeah. We're glad to have you. I'm glad to have you all. Before getting to food, one of the most important parts of the celebration, the seniors stand in a circle and take turns speaking about what they've learned in their time at Harrisonburg High. There's a lot of bashful giggling and shrugs. It's always intimidating to explain why you love something. But everyone stands up and speaks earnestly. They smile at their friends around them. And mostly, their friends tease them back. I don't know how to say your name. Okay, so in the beginning when I was in the oh, never mind. <laughs> so in the beginning when I was in the Philly years in the first year, like freshman in my sophomore year, I just thought like I'm doing something that's not helpful for anyone, even for me, like in school. And then overall I realized that actually this is really helpful for me as a human to meet people and just learn about people. Because everyone we meet have something we don't know. That's it. A few months after that, I caught up with Fatima halfway through her first semester at Eastern Mennonite University. She's studying psychology now and joined the student newspaper. We talked for hours and could have talked more, but in typical Fatima fashion, she said a lot in just a short time. How do you think being in Harrisonburg has changed you? Oh, gosh. Um, it makes me exposed to many different people that it felt scary in the beginning, but then I realized that it wasn't scary. It, makes, it will make me grow a lot. I think like just being with different people that have different perspective and different beliefs and like everything different would make you realize so many things that like, you may take from them those like some of these beautiful things just like adopt it to yourself or even change one of like some of the beliefs that you have and yes it changed a lot of me as a person and it make me grow a lot and it's still growing Resettled is a production of VPM. This episode was reported by Maria Parasso Rose. Special thanks to Laura FM, Kajungu Maturi, the peer leaders, and the teachers at Harrisonburg City Public Schools for their support, access, and welcome. Resettled is produced by Jilda DeCarly and edited by Kelly Jones, with oversight from Nate Toby. Our production manager is Gavin Wright. Our executive producers are Angela Messino and Catherine Comp. Steve Humble is VPM's Chief Content Officer. And I'm your host, Ahmed Badr.
Music is by Sandhill and Blue Dot Sessions. Be sure to check out vpm.org resettled to learn more and see more photos and stories from our community. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Members are a fundamental part of VPM. Member support is especially vital right now. Through member support, we're able to provide timely and fact-based information, educational resources for our kids, and informative and entertaining content to keep minds active and engaged. Be a part of what makes VPM possible. Visit vpm.org donate to become a member today. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. VPM.